Wow, what a story, guys. What a cool story. Good to, right? Is that cool? Is that good? Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on. Uh, well, my name is Brian. If we haven't met, uh, I would love to meet you in the lobby afterwards. Come find me. I'll just have a mask right there. Same, same guy, same white shirt, but just with a mask right there. Hey, we're in this teaching series called Elemental, where we're looking at what makes Anchor, Anchor. So if you're new, this is a great series for you as you're finding out what makes Anchor, Anchor. And if you've been around Anchor for a while, this is a good series for you as we get to be reminded and to double down on what it means to be a part of this community. All right, a little bit of interactive work to start off. Are we good for it? Are we good for a little interaction? We're good? All right, I see, I see one, sold. All right. All right, so I want you to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Um, and just imagine like the best experiences in community you have ever had. The most life-giving friendships, the most memorable moments. Take a second to think of those and you can open your eyes when you're ready. You can open your eyes. All right, I want you to raise your hand. Raise your hand if like the first thing that came to your mind when I mentioned life-giving friendships, life-giving community was like fun times, whether it's belly laughs or adventure. Was it fun times? Fun times. All right, we see some hands. Some of you guys need more fun times apparently in your life, and I pray fun times over you. God, give fun times to these people. All right, how about deep conversations? Just like really meaningful, deep conversations. All right, some people with deep conversations. That is good. What about just like being with each other? Hospitality, availability. You call, I'm free. You call, I'm available. Yeah, you want to hang out? Game. Great. What about like purpose? Like I feel like I'm a part of something that's actually bigger than the friendship. Like, like I'm like, you know, the, actually I would say like as C.S. Lewis, you can, yeah, you can put your hands down. C.S. Lewis says, you know, like friendship is found at the moment where you look at someone and you say, me too. Like there's something bigger than the friendship that is like gluing you guys together. So uh, these are all different expressions that happen like in the best of friendships. Hopefully like our, our friendships are marked with all of those things, right? Hopefully all of you have friendships and community where like you can say, yep, multiple pings there. Here at Anchor, we believe like the best community is described in two words. The best community is described in two words and it is harbor and base. Harbor and base. Say it with me. Harbor. You guys, all right, all right. Base. Base. Okay, a harbor is what? It's a place of safety from a challenging environment. You might think of like a place where or a boat finds passage away from the beating sea, the wind, the waves, and finds refuge, finds harbor. It's a place of safety from a challenging environment. Well, a base is a place of preparation for a challenging environment. And both of these realities are vital for Jesus-centered community, both safety and sending. Harbor is, I feel, centered. Base is, I feel, sent. Harbor is eye-to-eye in connection. Base is shoulder-to-shoulder uh, -shoulder in meaning and purpose. Both of these things are vital. And when we look at Jesus, really through the, this, all this series, we're going to see elements of Jesus's interaction with all of the disciples that show up in these, this way. Safety and sending, rest and, and, and mission. Both of these things show up in every one of Jesus's interactions with the disciples. You can look at the very first one. 
where Jesus shows up on the Sea of Galilee. He says, hey, leave your nets, come follow me, and I will make you what? A fisher of men. What is he saying there? He's saying, hey, come in relationship with me. Let's be friends. Let's connect. Get behind me and learn from me. Tune in to what I'm about, and guess what? Your life will change. This is a glimpse of harbor and base. Or in John chapter 4, another gospel story where this woman who has a past that is haunting her finds relationship with Jesus and through their conversation, the shame drops and the healing rises and she leaves that interaction with Jesus telling the people that once were a source of shame that she has found someone that gives meaning like no other. This is harbor and base. This is both of these realities. We're going to be looking at a passage of scripture that is admittedly like kind of obscure and leaves us with some mystery in it because it talks about demon possession. Hello, we just tuned in. Hello. Here's what I believe. I believe that in an age of over-information, mystery is something that is close to a spiritual practice. So we're going to be leaving this text with not all of our answers, but that's okay because mystery is vital in an age of over-information. And we're not going to be exploring all of the depths of it, but we will be looking at a valuable thread. So Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. You have a Bible you can open to it. It's going to be on the screen. But as we get to this passage of Scripture, I want to clue us in and kind of get us up to speed on like what's happening in this book called Mark. Mark is a gospel, which means it's like a first century biography of the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It zeroes in on the life of Jesus and, and answers the question, what is Jesus about? That's what the Gospels do. Now, Mark is interesting because it was the first Gospel written, probably written in 65 AD or so, which means within a couple decades of Jesus' actual earthly existence, this document called the Gospel of Mark was composed. By first century standards, that is revolutionary. That's remarkable that there would be a document describing this person so closely to his actual existence. For example, the document or the biography that describes the life of Alexander the Great was, was seen to have written about a thousand years after his existence. Jesus hits 30 years. And it's passed on by Peter to John Mark. So Peter, the one who had face-to-face, eye-to-eye, shoulder-to-shoulder connection with Jesus himself, shares the stories of his interactions with Jesus to John Mark, Peter's young protege, and that's what we are experiencing here. Now, it's interesting, the Gospel of Mark, perhaps more than any other Gospel, uh, tells about the foibles of Peter. So there's a little humility tucked in to this Gospel, as Peter is very keenly aware of his own mistakes and missteps. So we pick up in chapter 5, and this is an interesting section because Jesus is going to an area that is not primarily Jewish, which is weird for a rabbi. A rabbi would typically go to places where people already know the scriptures, people already worship Yahweh, they already have an understanding of what it means to be committed to the law, to Torah, and to observing it. But Jesus is going to people that don't know any of that yet. It's an area called the Decapolis, which is the eastern edge of the Roman Empire. 
It's incredibly militarized. There's big military forts and and bastions there to protect that edge of the Roman Empire to those that would seek to push back against the Roman Empire's boundary lines. This is where Jesus goes, where we read in verse 1 of chapter 5. So they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. The original goth guy. Can I say that? I just did. I don't know. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Interesting choice, demons. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs, and the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. What a fascinating passage of scripture. I love that passage or that section where it says they told him about the man and they also told him about the pigs as well. It's like, yeah, and then the pigs? You know, what a weird, interesting passage of scripture. Well, what we see is that this guy is like in a rough spot. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever been in a rough spot before? This guy may have you beat, right? What does he need? He needs a harbor. He needs a harbor. Yeah, he needs a lot more than just kind of like a safe space, but he he needs a harbor. Like, think about what's happening in this guy's life. Spiritually, socially, emotionally. 
Spiritually, obviously, center of the passage, he's possessed by demons, which we don't know what to do within the 21st century world. We like to maybe flatten it out to be a parable, but here's the interesting thing. Two-thirds of the world still believes that there are dark, demonic forces of the world, and usually it's, it's Western, the Western world that has a hard time thinking through what that looks like. And the first century believed that there was a reality that was not just seen, but invisible, and that's, it's, it's a spiritual reality, and, and that's the Bible's coming from that perspective. So rather than use, interpret, and try to force it into a 21st century world, we should actually try to understand what Scripture's saying on its own terms and believe that probably is closer to actual reality, even though it means there's mystery and questions there. But he's spiritually affected and infected with this dark, demonic thing but that also he's ritually impure. For a Jew, you know, to be among the tombs and with pigs, that is like a mark of ritual impurity, which means that like, like rabbis wouldn't typically get close to you, but here's this rabbi Jesus who's not intimidated. That's interesting. But it's not just spiritually, he's socially cut off. It mentions that he's alone, he's by himself, he's hanging out among the tombs, like not a good spot to kick it, Right? who hangs out in the graveyards. And then he's emotionally, so he's crying out and he's, he's hurting himself. He's like in need of some healing. He's in need of a harbor, but he's cut off. And maybe for good reason, because it seems like he is like bringing harm maybe to those that are close to him, or at least scaring or frightening him. What do you do within a situation like this, where it's like, it seems like maybe the best idea is just to keep him over there so that we can be safe here. But what Jesus does is something different and significant, and it's worth paying attention to. He shows up and he asks this question, what is your name? What's your name? In the ancient world, the, the idea of a name is bigger than just kind of like, oh, that's what mom and dad found in a name book. Or bigger than like, that's what their favorite actress was named, so Apple it is, or whatever. The name was connected to identity. It was connected to story. It was connected to who you are. Jesus is asking, what makes you tick? Tell me more. Give me the backstory. Who are you? And this guy's response, it's fascinating. He can't disconnect what is happening spiritually with him to what, uh, to what his very identity. So there's this kind of like, my name is Legion, for we are many. It's so taken over his identity that he can't distinguish between himself and the dark force, this dark demonic energy that's happening, that's within him. It's interesting, as I mentioned earlier, this is a place where there's a highly Roman, it's like high military area. The Roman Empire was like highly, it was occupying this area. And so many commentators look at like how the Roman Empire was occupying this area, area and this like these, these military forces described as a legion were occupying this man. And there's this microcosm of the greater area that's happening within this one person. And we don't know quite how it happens. But as Jesus leans in rather than leans out, as Jesus says, tell me your story, what's your name? Give me, give me something of what like, makes you tick. As Jesus leans in rather than leans out and gives him the first semblance of a harbor he has probably ever experienced, 
we get to this passage in verse 15, where it says, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Yeah, we know about the pigs, which is like interesting in and of itself, but we like, like what did the in-between time look like? How did it all unfold? We know how it began. What is your name? And then there's this section that describes how he had radically transformed. And yes, the demons had left him. But like, I just wonder what those interactions between Jesus, what did Jesus' eyes look like? What does his eyes look like? What, did, what were the smells? How long was the time lapse? What was the time lapse? Did Jesus hug him? These are the things that I'm interested in. There's these three marks in that verse 15 that just stand out to me. It says he was sitting. When you, like, read the beginning description of this guy, you know, like, uh, it's, he's anything but sitting. He's raging. He's throwing things. He's, 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 you know, like, yelling out. He's crying. He's breaking chains, but he's not sitting still. I wonder if for the first time, his heart isn't racing says he's sitting down. He's still. And then it says he was dressed, which is like, good to know. Good to know. Good to know. Good for him to know, too. Yeah, you don't just go walking around naked. This is part of what it means to be socially responsible. Dress yourself. But like, underneath that is this principle of that he now has the ability for self-care. Now he has the ability to take responsibility for his body, for his image, how he presents himself. Not that it's about image, but it's about caring and taking responsibility. He couldn't do it. He can do it now. These are marks of him being with Jesus. These are marks of him experiencing a harbor. These are marks of him not experiencing continued, sustained exclusion, but for the first time hearing, what's your name? Tell me more. I'm interested. And it ends as this description with, and he was in his right mind. He had a clarity of thought. We don't know how long, maybe, maybe for the first time in years. Harbors happen when we lean in. Years ago, I was talking with a mentor, and he asked me this question that confused me. He said, uh, maybe you've heard me tell this story before, because he said, Brian, how's your anxiety? And I said, don't have a problem with that. Totally good. Why would you ask? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, example one. He said, you know what? Every time you're late to an appointment, you can't stop apologizing. You're, you're, you're getting so self-deprecating, it's not even it's, you're like super hypercritical. It's like, I've been, I've been with you like as a friend for a while and like, like how, how, how are you doing with that? Like typically when you experience a harbor, it involves someone seeing something and saying something or someone asking a question, someone leaning in in interest and saying, how is that doing? Tell me about that. What is your name? Tell me your story. 
It's like I can look back over my personal life and say that question was the beginning of a significant transformation in my life. Hopefully you've had moments like that where someone has leaned in and they said, tell me your name. Tell me your story. I'm interested. Others may not have been in the past, but I am. This is what we want here. Here, here's, the, here's the truth. Like, most of our lives, like, we go in experiencing things that are not harbors. You could call them anti-harbors. People moving too quickly, not interested, rushing past us, maybe working through their own issues by avoiding our, us, you know, disengaged. That's a normal part of our life to experience relationships like that. Tragic as it is, it's kind of normal. So we want this Jesus-centered community to be marked by the question that Jesus asked, tell me your name. Tell me your name. What's your story? Healing happens when we lean in in that way. Transformation happens when we ask that question, when we give time for that. That's why we're starting things like Celebrate Recovery that Susan mentioned just a little bit ago. We're, we're starting to develop this or, or, or start this thing, which is just about people experiencing Jesus-centered sobriety because we think that like harbors like that can heal and bring transformation that Jesus wants to bring. It's why we talk about emotional health because we think like that's not just kind of like a, a nice kind of like self-care kind of secular add-on to our spirituality but it's actually a part of our discipleship to Jesus getting track of like what's happening in our heart and our head so we can give our whole selves to Jesus. Here's the principle. If we don't grow in self-awareness our vision of God will reflect our wants or our wounds. But if we grow in self-awareness and emotional health, we can let God be who he is and us be in relationship with him, not just a reflection of our wants and our wounds. This all happens in a harbor. Can I tell you? Just like the greenhouse creates growth because it protects us from the elements, a harbor facilitates growth because we're, we can know we're safe so we can finally relax our shoulders, let our breathing come a little slower and just chill out. As somebody says, tell me your name. Tell me your name. Here's the weird part. It's not enough just to be a harbor. You think, like, if, if, if harbor environments are all we create, then we create safety without sending, and Jesus' mission is about sending and about safety, so we have one half of it, but we don't have all of it, and harbor alone environments end up people, making people feel really comfortable, but then the community dies because they're not really looking outward, they're looking inward, and so all of a sudden, you just have a community that has a shelf life, and it's not growing, and it's not stewarding the mission that God has called us to, and so you have a harbor, but the harbor ends up not being a harbor to those that need a harbor because people are just comfortable. We need to be a harbor and a base. This is this, check this out, a harbor base community. Check this, verse 18. This is stirring. This is stirring. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. This guy is begging. He's saying, Jesus, would you let me come? Those people put me in the tombs. Those people locked me in chains. You're the one who freed me. I want to be with you. There's no one else that has brought that level of freedom in my life, and I don't want anything else but the freedom that you have given me. Would you just let me come? And Jesus 
said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for them and all the people were amazed. Can I just pause and like put the magnifying glass on this experience? Not only is Jesus saying, yes or no, you can't come with me. He's saying, go to the people that bound you and tell them you are not who you once were. Go to the people that stereotyped you. Go to the people that, that you made the choice to live among the tombs. Let's be honest, weird choice, but, but you kind of were forced there. Go to the people that pushed you out into the tombs and say, I'm alive. Why? Not so you can throw it in their face. Why? What does Jesus say? So they can see how much the Lord has done for you. Isn't that beautiful? It's interesting, there's no pushback from the guy. He's like, no, but, there's no no buts. There's no no buts. Why? It's because I believe that when you've been marked by the power of God in a significant way, yes, it might take courage to go to the places that seem scary, but you know that you've been marked by the power of God so you can go to the places that might seem unsafe because you know the safety that is found in knowing Jesus, and you can, people can take what they want, but you know who you are because somebody's asked you, what is your name? What is your name? And you found the freedom that comes from that harbor so you can go out on mission anywhere. I believe, I believe, I believe that. That's why we, this is, this is something we, we value. Harbor and base. That's why we say gather and scatter. This is, this is this, maybe it's new language for you, but we, we gather here and we believe something significant happens here when we use our voices, we use our body, we use our minds, we use our words in community and in relationship to Jesus. We believe something significant happens in this space. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. But the point is not for us just to hang out here nonstop every day of the week. Some of you are like, thank God, because I want to watch the Seahawks. (laughs) We gather, but then we scatter to do what? Tell the people that somebody said, what is your name? To tell the people how marvelous and merciful God is. Not just with our words. People get tired of just hearing our words if it's not matched with our deeds. We gather and we scatter. It's why we talk about planting churches. It's why we're committed not just to emotional health, but starting new churches. It's why we announced last week that we're kind of on the front edges of planting a new church. More info to come. Why? Because we have this, we have this conviction that more churches means more access to the gospel, which is the greatest news the world has ever heard, and, and it's too great to not be heard, so more churches means more access, and we just believe that is valuable, that more people can find Jesus-centered community. Here's a couple, couple reasons why we need to be a harbor, but also a base, really a base. Why? Because healthy things are growing things, and the growing happens when we get going. The growing happens as we go, as we go into our neighborhoods, as we go into relationships, as we ask others, what is your name? 
growth happens there. More people find the knowledge and the understanding of the relationship with Jesus. It's a powerful truth that needs to be shared. It's too powerful to be kept. And also, this, there is work to do. We know people like the one that's described here in our life. Maybe not with physical chains, but emotional or spiritual chains. And because we have been commissioned to ask the question, what is your name? We get the privilege of creating harbors out there where there aren't harbors. It's a harbor-based community, though, in the last, this last point. Harbor-based community. There's two types of communities expressed in this passage, and it, it, it's kind of, maybe, maybe you missed it, so I want to zero in on it. In verse 15, it says, they were afraid. This, um, this might be news to you, but the word they means that like, there's like multiple people, right? They were afraid. Why were they afraid? What's the context there? Well, this guy was healed. And that meant they lost some pigs. They lost some of their resources, and this guy was healed. And why they were afraid, and what's the next thing they do? They say, Jesus, leave us. Why? They were not willing to pay the cost for this guy's healing. They preferred the status quo to, to this person's healing. They would prefer him to live in the tombs and them to keep their pigs. Jesus was too costly. But then there's another community that this man goes and talks to after Jesus commissions him. In verse 20, it says, the people were amazed. They were amazed because they saw the guy transformed. And as a community here at Anchor, we have a call, we have a choice. We can be a community that is kind of afraid that the cost is too high, or amazed at the work of Jesus. It can be a community that's afraid, the cost is too high for us to really be a harbor base, or we can be amazed at the work of Jesus. Here's this beautiful truth. It's a biblical principle. What you worship, you become. If you worship an idol, you become deaf and dumb like an idol. You lose your vitality. But if you worship Jesus, you become more and more like Jesus. If you're amazed at Jesus, if Jesus has captured your attention, you end up more like him, the one who alone went to the man in chains and said, what is your name? Ben, you can come up right now. And here's, here's, this, here's, the, here's, the, here's the invitation for me, is that we as an anchor community would be not afraid at the cost of what the transformation is, as we think about it, what it costs in our own life, what it costs as a community, but we would be so amazed at Jesus that the cost is just peripheral when we see what he could do with our time, with our finances, with our gifts, with our energy, with our calendar, with our prayer life, with our relationships, with our neighborhood, with our family, with our love. Let's be amazed. The whole way, the whole like catalyst for this really is like described in the elements underneath your chair. There's bread, wafer, and juice. They point to the cross where Jesus Christ didn't uh, consider his life uh, to be spared, but rather took all of our brokenness on himself so that we could be restored 
and look more like him so we could be an example and an image of who he is here in this place that needs harbors. So in this next song, you can, you can take your time, take your time to reflect on what God is inviting you to. God is inviting you to something, to be a harbor, to be a base. There's something the Spirit is tapping you on the shoulder about. Take some time to reflect, God, what is it? What is it? What are you inviting me to? How can I be a part of this community that's a harbor and base? How can I live that out for my own life? Take some time to reflect. And then also there's prayer stations there on the sides. And here's what we believe. We believe this because this place is a a harbor, you can come and say, hey, I need prayer. Whether it's getting out of this kind of thought pattern of self-critical thought pattern or needing physical healing or some relational need, don't leave here before you get the prayer that you need. And as we step into this season or this next song of of taking the elements and getting prayer and using our voice in song, I want to just pray over us. So maybe you'd extend a hand or, or just be present to this as we pray, God, Spirit of God, meet us in this place in our own imperfections, in our own brokenness, in our, uh, help us to not disqualify ourselves from being used by you. Give us a fresh vision of what it means to be your people. Give us images and glimpses of what you're inviting us to be as a community and what you're inviting us to be as an individual and as a family, as a group of friends. Spirit of God, would you be giving images to us of what you're calling us to? And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus.